why don't you open up your Bible to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. For those of you that are just now joining us, we have been on a series called Unhindered, where we have been going verse by verse all through the book of Colossians. But before we dive into this chapter, I want to first just rewind and highlight a few of the truths that Paul has already written that lead up to this chapter. Paul was aware of the various difficulties and challenges that the people of Colossae were facing. And so he shares some powerful words to help them in being victorious with their walk with Christ. And as he talks about their challenges, we found that the things that the Colossians dealt with, they really aren't that much different than the things that we face today. For example, he talked about not falling prey to worldly pursuits. Now, what's that mean? That means that there's a prevailing belief in society that says that acquiring more things, more money, more possessions, more material things, that they will somehow lead you to a happy life. And this belief can then create this relentless pursuit of attaining more, which then creates this never-ending cycle of consumption, which almost always ends up with entitlement. Come on, sound like this generation yet? (laughs) But then Paul goes on to address another matter in the church. He cautions the, uh, the Colossians. He cautions the Colossians. Say that real fast five times, right? He cautions the Colossians against the yoke of religion. And by the way, um, just a simple uh, or simplistic definition of what that means, putting on the yoke of religion means that you are putting confidence in your own flesh. It means that you believe that you can accomplish God's purposes on your own strength. But even more, it's actually a a lie that causes us to believe that we can somehow attain God's favor based on the good deeds that we do. Now watch this. We should do good. Come on, amen? God has called us to do good works. But those works won't be what puts us in right standing with God. Only Jesus can do that. And so this truth is so important uh, for us because many Christians, they start out recognizing their need for God's grace, but somewhere along the way, it's as if they've said, God, I've got it from here. I mean, they don't actually say that, but like their actions do. Church, write this down. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that will keep you. Are you with me? There's never going to be a moment in this world that you won't need to continue to return to the foot of the cross. There's never going to be a moment in your life where you are not going to need God's grace. And if you ever come to a a point where you think, well, I don't need to pray. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to serve. I don't need to give. Then you will have become Pray to what it is that the Apostle Paul is writing about in chapters 1 and 2. And you've fallen prey to this thing called deception. I literally had a Christian tell me this a few months ago. He said, I don't have to read my Bible and go to church all the time. I already know all that stuff. 
Now, you know that your pastor is not one who is uh, shy about saying what he's thinking, right? And so I boldly said to him, well, you might not, you may know it, but you ain't living it. Kind of reminds me of, there's two guys that I go and see, they're always at the gym. I go to the same gym, I've been there for 10 years, and there's two guys that are always there, and um, I've never seen a change in how they look, though, right? And, and, and I'm not body shaming here. I'm just saying if you were to see these two guys out, in, I don't know, in the marketplace or the grocery store, you wouldn't just immediately think, wow, those guys work out. But here's the thing. I've been around them long enough that I, I know that those guys, like, they know how to work out because I've heard them talk about working out with other people. Um, so they know what to do. They're just not doing it. They're just always standing around talking about it. And I can't help but contrast that illustration to what I often see in the church. Because I often overhear Christians talk about Jesus, though they only come to church occasionally. I often hear Christians talk about serving, though they themselves don't serve. I often overhear Christians talking about the importance of community, although they're not themselves involved in a community group. And I often overhear people talk about the importance of reading your Bible and praying, yet their Bible is sitting on a shelf somewhere with dust on it. Watch this. I don't share these things with you to cast judgment or condemnation. If you happen to fall in any of those categories, I'm just simply bringing to your attention, just like Paul did here to the church at Colossae, that it's easy to fall prey to these things. And when you do, you miss out on the great adventure, which is following Christ. And so this isn't calling you out. This is calling you up, church. Are you hearing that? Now, chapter 3 gives us what I feel like is a very um, significant, a very practical tool for us accomplishing his purposes. As a matter of fact, what we are going to be talking about today is going to be something that you are going to apply all throughout your life. Like, this is something you never graduate from, okay? So let's read it. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Paul continues writing by reminding Colossian believers of their identity and their position in Christ, which, of course, he extensively discusses in the chapter previous. And then he drops this truth bomb right here, one that should go off in the mind of every believer in every place and of all times. He says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are here on the earth. Now the word set right here, it means to direct one minds to a thing, to seek and to have a habit of thought. The Greek lexicon says that it means to be intent on promoting what God wills. And so right out of the gate, Paul tells us that as those who have been raised with Christ, there's something that we must make a priority. What is that? Our thought life. 
Now watch this. Here's the thing about our thoughts. Most of us, like, we never think about what we think about, right? But Paul says, I need you to be intentional about what you set your mind to. I want to make sure that you understand that making your thought life, it's got to be a priority. Paul knew what Solomon had written, surely, in Proverbs 23, 7, whenever he says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And he knew that for every believer to be able to carry out all that God had purposed for his life, it was absolutely necessary for him to prioritize his thoughts. Church, can I just tell you something? If you're not being intentional about what you think about, I can promise you that the world will set your thoughts for you. As a matter of fact, if you're writing notes, or if you're taking notes, uh, write this down. Your worldview will either happen by design or by default. So here's the reality. Our minds are constantly bombarded with information, opinions, and ideas from the world around us. And social media, news, entertainment, and the people that we interact with, they all shape the way that we think. And if we're not intentional, our thought life can become a battleground where the enemy seeks to infiltrate our minds with doubt, fear, and confusion. But Paul's message to the Colossians, and I believe to us here, is don't let the world dictate your thoughts. Don't let culture define your values. Instead, you be the one who sets your mind, who directs your mind. And how do you direct it? By thinking about the things that are above and not the things that are here on earth. You say, well, pastor, how do I do that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. But first, let me just bring this to your attention. We are not all starting with a clean slate. And what I mean by that is we all have thoughts that have been formed throughout our lives through various sources. And some of them are good. Some of them are bad. And so understand that when it comes to our thought life, like we're not all at the same place right here. And what I mean by that is even though our sins have been forgiven and we have uh, had the blood of Jesus pay the price for our redemption so that we are now in right standing with God and praise God for that, we still have the same mind, which needs to be renewed. For example, and this is not just true, I'm not just speaking of the world, uh, world, but even of believers, a lot of people have a distorted view of life. They have a distorted view of marriage. They have a distorted view of parenting. They have a distorted view of church. They have a distorted view of God. They have a distorted view of their job and of relationships. And the only way to get the right picture of what those things are supposed to look like are to line up our thoughts with God's thoughts and to see things as God sees them. You say, well, how does God see them? Well, thankfully, he doesn't leave us out in the dark. His word tells us the way that he sees things and the way that you and I should see things. And by the way, just for the record, God's way is the right way. His perspective is the right perspective. Now I want us to look at a, another verse because what Paul wrote here, it's identical 
uh, to what he said in Colossians. But in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, he speaks to this very thing that we're talking about. He says, do not be conformed to this world. And one paraphrased version says, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. And what I like about that is neuroscience is now teaching us how the brain is literally molding itself according to the consistent thought pattern that we allow. But God's word already told us this 2,000 years ago, right? He goes on to say in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You know, nothing really changes until the mind does. This is why we make it a high priority to tell folks once they've given their life to Christ that there are some important, you hear me say these words a lot, next steps that they need to take. And one of those steps is to begin the process of renewing the mind, to put in God's thoughts, which will then in turn evict your old way of thinking. But this is where you've got to understand, we are the ones who have to set our mind. You see, there's a responsibility that we have in renewing our minds. It's an intentional act that we must make and prioritize if it's going to happen. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, why is it so important, Pastor, that we renew our minds? Well, Paul answers that very question in Romans 8, 6. He said, for to set the mind, of course, there's that phrase again, to set the mind, to purpose it, to direct it. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Church, let me break it down for you. Where you set your mind determines your destination. If you set your mind on worldly, fleshly things, it leads to spiritual death and chaos in your life. But if you set your mind on the things of the spirit, the scripture says that it leads to life. And to peace. And by the way, when it says life, it's talking about the fullness of life. Not just alive in the sense of your breathing. No, it means that you are overflowing with the life, the love, and the goodness of God. Remember what Jesus said in John 10 10? He says, I have came to give you life and to give it what? In abundance. You see, the things that God has for us, they are good. Good things, church. Life, full of life. And watch this. No good thing does God withhold from those who do what is right. See, catch this. If I will renew my mind, God will renew me. How do we do that? How do we set our mind on the things that are above? Well, Paul gives us a list of things that we should set our mind to. In Philippians 4, 8, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, listen to what he says here, think, direct your mind, set your mind on these things. You see, the word think there, it does, it means to determine, it means to purpose, it means to decide. In other words, we've got to think about what we think about and be proactive with the thoughts that we allow in our lives. 
We must determine and decide what thoughts we will and we won't allow in. And Philippians 4.8 gives us a great litmus test as to what we should or shouldn't think. Now, I'm just going to break it down and just kind of make it practical for a moment and just bring it to where you live. We're going to bring it to the water cooler, all right? Let's say someone comes up to you and they say, well, I heard, of course, starting the rumor mill into motion. Watch this. Before they go any further, apply this Philippians 4.8 test and ask them to say, oh, I'm, excuse me, I'm sorry. Is what you're about to say to me right now, is it true? And if they are unsure, then let them know that you're not interested in hearing about anything that's not absolutely true. Or maybe they say that it is true. Then you're going to go to the next one, right? Think about the things which is true. Think about what those things which are honorable. You then say, it's what you're about to tell me. Is it honoring? Because if it's not honoring, I don't want to hear it. As a matter of fact, you can just apply all six of these things that Paul's talking about here in Philippians 4a. However, I found that most of the time, if you will just apply the truth and the honorable one, usually the rest of them kind of take care of themselves. But maybe you're thinking, well, Pastor, I could never say that to someone. Well, let me ask you this. If you saw someone pouring water into your gas tank, would you say something to them? Or would you say, uh, no, I'm not going to say anything for the fear of what they might think about me? You'd say something to them, right? Okay? Well, if your car is valuable enough that someone would uh, put gas in there and you would catch them and you would say something to them because they're polluting your gas, then how much more valuable is your mind when someone's trying to pollute it? See, the pollution that takes up the most space in our mind is often from the conversations that we've allowed. I'm going to say that again. It's good to write down. The pollution that takes up the most space in our mind is often from the conversations we've allowed. And look, I can promise you that once you set the precedent with that person who's trying to pollute your mind, they're not going to be quick to try and do that again. You say, well, pastor, is this really that big of a deal what you're talking about? Absolutely, yes, because this is literally a life or death matter. And so if you're taking notes Probably I should have already shared this with you. The first point is this. Reject toxic conversations. And I know the temptation that comes when we consider this because we start thinking, well, that person might not talk to me anymore. And my first question might be, is that that bad? I mean, if all that person's ever doing is spewing toxicity with their words, then, hey, mission accomplished, right? But can I tell you what experience has taught me? Standing up for what is right always works in your favor in the end. Look, I've been on the receiving end of a rebuke before and things that I did that did not apply the Philippians 4.8 test, things that I said that didn't fit through that. And I remember one time specifically in my 20s, and I'm grateful that he, he did it, um, I told an off-color joke. I don't remember what the joke was, but I remember it was a little off-color your pastor's not perfect. And um, it was my friend Miles. You guys know Miles Phelps. We support him as a missionary. 
um, I, I told the joke, and again, I don't remember exactly what it was, but Miles looked at me with a straight face, and he said, hey, sin isn't funny. Now watch this. That wasn't easy for him to say that to me. At that time of my life, he was my best friend. But you know what? He was right. I was in the wrong. And watch this. He wasn't being judgmental or acting holier than thou. He just simply spoke the truth in love. And guess what? We still stayed friends. <laughs> Church, grab hold of this. We need to cover one another. And if your friend can't correct you, then they can't cover you. No accountability is liability. And if every time someone rebukes you, you have to leave and you run away, then you're not looking for a covering, you're looking for a cover-up. Let me just add to, the, add to this last point right here, because this isn't just true of our fellow believers, all right? I understand that we must be wise in our handling of those in the world, and that we can't expect the world to act like saints. I get that. But you don't have to listen to the toxic junk of this world from non-believers either. I remember several years ago, I was in a tractor supply of all places, and there were two women there whom I'm pretty sure had never been in a tractor supply place in their entire life. And within about three minutes, we're waiting in line to, to pay. And within about three minutes of them talking, almost every word that came out of their mouth was a bad word. And when I say a bad word, I mean like they would have made Quentin Tarantino blush, okay? Now, I don't particularly like to hear cuss words. And ordinarily, I would have just dismissed it and tuned them out. But that particular day, I had Hope with me, my daughter. And she was probably about six years old at the time. And so I looked at the women. Notice I didn't say ladies. I looked at the women, and I said, hey, guys, we live in a free country. And so you can say anything that you want. But if you drop the F-bomb one more time around my kid, then I'm going to speak in tongues loud enough to drown you out. And guess what? They didn't say one more cuss word. Now, as sure as I tell this story, you already know somebody's going to be like, what kind of witness was that? A better witness than saying nothing at all, which is what some of y'all say that's judging me by telling you that story. You want to know what kind of witness it is? It's the kind of witness that says, I have been given the ordained uh, promise from God or uh, would say uh, commissioned by God to make sure that my six-year-old doesn't listen to that trash. That's the kind of witness that it is. Well, they're going to hear that stuff in the world anyway. Sure they are, but not on my watch. So the first point is to reject toxic conversations and toxic talk. But the second point is this. Cultivate a habit of acquiring truth. And watch this, guys. This right here, this is a two-sided coin. It's a two-sided coin. You've got to reject, like, the negativity and the things of this world, but you've got to also make sure that you are cultivating a habit of acquiring truth. And when I say truth, I'm talking about the truth of God's Word. 
the truth that brings freedom to our lives. See, it's not just enough that we simply keep ourselves from the toxicity of the world, but we must be constantly storing up God's word in our hearts. Throughout my 25 years in ministry, I've said this over and over, and that is as if there was ever one thing that I could ever get you to do as a follower of Christ, it would be to read your Bible daily. I mean, just doing that right there alone would completely change your life. How? Because God's word, it teaches us what's true. You say true about what? True, I don't know, true about life? True about God? True about yourself? True about others? True about our adversary, the devil? But if you don't know truth, then you're going to be susceptible to every thought that comes your way. You see, your thoughts, they determine the life you live because they then materialize into actions. And your actions, they can lead you then either toward your destiny or away from it. I read you 12.2, Romans 12.2 earlier, but I didn't share the whole verse. The whole verse says, and do not be conformed to this world, right? So in other words, reject the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, acquire that habit, right? So that, so this is giving us the purpose right here, so that you may prove or some translations say know what the will of God is. What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? And so why is it so important that our minds are being renewed by the word of God? Because having a renewed mind is what leads us to our purpose. Remember what King David wrote in Psalm 119? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. In a light into my path. What's that mean? That means that when we're living by the light of his word, that you'll begin to start seeing things differently. You'll begin to start seeing God differently. And you'll begin to start seeing yourself differently. For example, let's say the thought crosses my mind. Well, I'm a failure. I'm never going to succeed. Well, when I know the word, I can know what it says. In Philippians 4.13, I can know that it says, wait a minute, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So therefore, I reject that thought and I cling on to God's truth. Well, let's say the thought crosses our mind that says, well, you've always had this problem and you're always going to have it. No, Again, I go back to God's word that says, the old things of my life have passed away, and behold, all things have become new in Christ. So I reject that truth, and I, or I'm sorry, that lie, and I hold on to the truth. Or here's one that the devil often throws at people. So make sure you grab this one right here. I feel like this is for someone. Well, you know, it runs in your family. And watch this. Maybe... It has ran in your family. But guess what? God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. 1 Peter 2.24 says, by his stripes, I am healed. So I'm going to reject that thought that says, oh, it runs in my mind. Oh, my, you know, that's just like your daddy, just like your grandparents. No, I reject that. I'm a new creation in Christ, and I'm healed. See, when you know the truth, you won't believe a lie. 
But what we're talking about right now, cultivating a habit of acquiring truth, what you need to understand is it's not going to be an instantaneous change in your life, okay? So I know so many people's like, man, I read my Bible three days in, in a row last week. No, I didn't see any change or anything. Well, if you go to the gym three days in a row, you're not going to see a change either. And if you cut out sodas for three days and expect to drop 20 pounds, you're not going to see a change either. Can I just share something that someone shared with me? I don't know. This is in my heart to share this with someone. It unlocked something for me when I was in my 20s. And it was in regards to what, what I would call spiritual disciplines, right? Because there's disciplines in life. They just are. And, and when it comes to prayer and your devotion time, that's the reason we, I called it cultivating a habit of acquiring truth. Because it's something that you have to, to cultivate, right? And so in life, when you set out with any discipline, most always you're going to have this high sense of duty in the beginning. But over here, there's going to be a low sense of what I like to call delight, right? But as you continue to do what is right because you know it's the right thing to do, even if you don't feel it, Look, that's the problem right there with the world, and it's what is happening in the church today is we're being led not by the Spirit, not by truth, but by our feelings. But we do what is right, even if we don't feel it. Here's what I have found has happened. If you will continue to do it, all of a sudden that sense of duty will begin to drop, and all of a sudden there will be an increase in the delight. Now, that's an encouraging word for those of you that says, I've been trying to read my Bible, and I just feel like I'm not really, it's like I'm making myself like a chore. That's okay. That's okay. I mean, like, I, I promise you there's none of you that would say, well, you know, I really don't feel like eating right now. I mean, right? You know that you need to eat, right? You know you need to make sure that your physical body is nourished. Your spiritual body has to be nourished as well. I mean, think about this, because this is, happens in churches all over America every Sunday. Imagine if today, after you got out of church, you went and you ate a meal, and you didn't eat again. I'm talking about a physical meal, okay? I'm talking about going to Olive Garden or something here, right? And you don't eat again until after church next Sunday, then you go eat another meal. Now, you say, well, it wouldn't be bad if you're fasting. Well, it wouldn't be bad if you're fasting, but don't get, you know, all super spiritual on me here. I'm talking about... In the natural, you do it week in and week out, week in and week out. Before too long, you'll die. You'll die. Might be a slow death, but eventually you'll die. Same thing happens spiritually with Christians all over. The I see people, they show up on my, my feed all the time, on my TikTok feed. They'll pop up there, and they, they get on and say, I'm a Christian, or used to be a Christian. I'm no longer a Christian, and here's why. And, and I, I tell the same thing that one of my, they say, well, I tried that. I said, no, you didn't try I mean, you tried, but you didn't die. That's the problem. You weren't willing to do the hard things. Watch this. I'm not going to lie to you. Being a follower of Jesus is not easy. I mean, Jesus himself says, take up your cross and follow me. He says, unless someone's going to you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and then people's like, yo, I'm out, man. Exit stage left. Church, why do you think the Bible says that wide is the way that goes to destruction, the straight and narrow it's a road that leads to life. That's the reason not every, you'd think that every person in Jacksonville would be at every seat in this place this morning to think that they've got the free gift of God given to them, but they're not. People are at the beach today. They're ready for the game today. They've already drank three or four beers today. Thank God you're here. 
But here's the thing. It's being consistent. It's being consistent with cultivating this habit of acquiring truth. And watch this happen in your life. And it will transform you. When you renew your mind, your life will be transformed. That word transformed is the Greek word metamorpho. It, it's the same word that, that is given when it talks about a caterpillar who is then transformed into a butterfly, right? And the beautiful thing that God wants to do in your life will happen if you will continue to keep your gaze fixed on him, if you will continue to apply truth into your life. Now, some of you will be like, man, I've been applying the truth for a long time. That's okay. Keep putting it in there. Keep putting it in there. And if you feel like, man, I've been doing this for a long time and things are still hard, guess what? Resistance is always the greatest right before the breakthrough. The biggest breakthrough in my life, when I stood up here uh, almost two years ago, two years ago, I wasn't able to get behind this pulpit this time last two years ago. I faced the greatest resistance in my life, and now we're seeing some of the greatest breakthrough in our life. And so that's an encouragement. That's an encouraging word for someone here who you're facing, you feel like all hell is coming against you. Don't give up, man. Don't throw in the towel. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. Your heavenly Father will see to it that you will be victorious. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. They love not their life until death. Hold on, even if you feel like you're dying. I thought I was about to die, <laughs> literally. I was told I had about three months to do so. Keep holding on to God's promise and his truth. Amen? Now, oh, it feels good to be free. Woo! I, just, I was just thinking about that. I was just thinking about the fact that right now I can collect my thoughts and praise God I wasn't able to do that. Woo! Man. Okay, so I only got two points this morning, so let me just share with you three quick subpoints. So write these down. We're going to go through them fast, all right? This first subpoint is this. A renewed mind produces peace. I feel like I could give you 20 subpoints right now. I'm feeling in my spirit, but I'm just going to give you three, all right? A renewed mind produces peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, you keep him in perfect peace. Don't say partial peace. Just say halfway peace. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. I just want to say to someone, God is going to restore hope in your heart as you keep your thoughts focused on him. And he will pour peace upon you in such a way that it will guard your heart and your mind. Isaiah 55, 12 says, you will go out in joy and you will be led forth in peace. See, for the person who has a renewed mind, peace goes before them. And it serves as their rear guard and their vanguard. The second sub-point is this. A renewed mind will produce power. Ephesians 1.19 says, and what is the immeasurable? In other words, you can't put a ruler to it. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who what? Belief. God desires to display his power both in and through our lives. But as the scripture says, we must believe. Believe what? Believe truth. Believe what his word says. Aligning our thoughts with God's promises is what brings clarity, confidence, and certainty. But understand that we're not just talking about 
positive thinking here. The power of a renewed mind is what taps into the source of strength and wisdom that God provides. And then the third and the final subpoint is this. A renewed mind will produce purpose. Now I read you Romans chapter 12 earlier, and I think I read it from the English Standard Version, but I want to now read it to you in the Aramaic Bible in plain English. It says this, and do not imitate this world. Church, when we start looking like the world, there's a problem. Are you hearing me? Matter of fact, next week we'll even get into some of the specifics about what that talks about because Paul goes on to talk about what that means so that we can just get direct and into it. But it says, do not imitate the world. Do not act like this world. But be transformed by the renovation of your minds. And remember earlier whenever I said that we're not all on the same playing field when it comes to our thoughts because we bring in all this, you know, stinking thinking, as Joyce Meyer says, whenever we come into our, our walk with Christ. Well, the scripture says that this, this transformation, it, it's a process. And I love the word uh, that it uses here in the Aramaic Bible in plain English. It says renovation. Now, my dad's a carpenter. And I'm not just talking about my, my heavenly father, like my, like my dad right there. He's actually a carpenter. And, you know, anytime you renovate something, you have to first tear out before you can build back. So that's what we're talking about here today. Right? We don't just continue to add to everything that we have uh, acquired, all the thoughts that we've had, because some of our thoughts, man, and watch this. Here's what's difficult is some of those thoughts that you've believed, they've come from good, well-meaning people, right, like good intentions people. But watch this. Just because someone shares something with you out of a good intention doesn't mean that what they shared with you was right or true. You say, well, how do we know? That's what we're talking about today. This worldview, the way that we see the world, the way we see God, the way that we see people, we've got to see it through God's word. And so we've got to sometimes tear down even before we can build back and be like, wait a minute, that's not true. That's not true. All, you know, I had a guy this week I tried to witness to. He goes, oh, preachers, you know, all, the, all they're in it for is the money. And I said, not all of them. He goes, yeah, all of them. And I looked at him. I said, not me. I said, I don't take a salary. And he goes, oh, he goes, you must be the only one. I said, no, I'm not the only one. It's just you believed that somehow. Now he's passing it on down to his kids. And here's what's so important for you parents. What's not healed will get handed down. And so it's important that you make sure that you get your mind focused on truth or else you're going to just pass that down. You know, when we talk about generational curses, I don't always know that it's so much a generation, generational curse. It could be. I believe in that. But I think a lot of times it's just a mindset that gets passed down. Are you with me? And so we've got to tear down. And then we build back up. We make sure we get that truth within us. So we do not imitate this world, but be transformed by the renovation of your minds. And then you shall distinguish what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You see, Paul directly relates renewing our minds to knowing the will of God. Let me ask you, how many of you already know what God's will is for your life? How many of you would say, I'd like to know? Well, then start by rejecting anything that's not truth and be consistent in storing up truth in your heart. I'm going to leave you with this last scripture. Join me if you would as I read it. Stand to your feet. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know, really what we're talking about today, hungering and thirsting for God, for his word, for his truth, is at the heart of today's message. Like to know him. Like intimately know him. Not just know about him, but to have a relationship with him. And I know that today I've been predominantly talking to Christians, but I just want to speak to those of you that are here that you may not have yet given your life to Jesus Christ. Friend, I want you to know that Jesus is the answer to every problem that you have and every problem that you didn't even know that you had. And this morning, Christ, he extends his love to you. He loves you and he accepts you just the way that you are. But watch this. He loves you too much to leave you in the condition in which you came. God wants to start to do a good work in your life. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good, not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. Someone asked me what's my favorite Bible verse. And, you know, that's like asking, like, which of your kids is the favorite? Someone asked me it this morning. I think Jeremiah 29, 11 is mine. Predominantly because it's the first time I ever heard the Lord's voice. It's when I was seeking God and feeling like there's no God, way God wants a guy like me. Because, man, I had a bad report card, y'all. I'm just telling you. I just did. But two months after I got, gave my life to Christ and I was starting this process of renewing my mind, I was praying one day and I heard Jeremiah 29, 11. And when I say I heard it, y'all, it, it, it was on the internal, not the external. I always say the internal is much louder than the external. And I wasn't even sure that there was a book called Jeremiah. I actually had to look it up in the table of contents. It sounded like a, a Bible verse. I was like, is that a Bible verse? Definitely didn't know there's 29 chapters or 11 verses. And I flipped it open and I read that. And I'm going to read it right now. Especially, Christians, I know you know this first, but especially for those of you, you're not walking with God. This is what God says. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. God has a plan for each and every person in this place. Matter of fact, he has a plan and a purpose for every person who's ever lived. Like no one just slips into the earth and God not know about it. Are, are you with me? It's not like God one day looked around and goes, Daniel, how'd you get here? <laughs> you, know, you slipped right in, buddy. <laughs> you sneaky one. No. He has a purpose for each and every one of our lives. Matter of fact, the Bible says that every one of our days are written in his books before they come to pass. But the scripture goes on to say, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good, not for evil, to give you hope in the future. Then it goes and says this. It says, then you will go and you will pray to me and you will seek me. And I will be heard of you, says the Lord. And he essentially goes on to say, I'm going to answer your prayers. And I'm going to see to it that you walk in your destiny and in your purpose. But the first step of that is surrendering your heart to Jesus Christ. That's the very first step. And I just want to ask, who's here this morning that you have not surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ? You say, why do I need to do that? Friend, two reasons. One is you were created for a purpose. And the only way you're going to find that purpose is through God. You're not going to find it in books, in degrees, in titles. The only way it's going to happen is by God. But not only that, friend, I got to tell you, and I feel like I need to spend more time talking about this. And that is that 
eternity is real. Heaven and hell are real. And watch this. You and I, we are going to spend eternity in one place or the other. I've had people say to me before, well, I don't believe in hell. I said, well, you know what? Your belief has no bearing on reality. I mean, it just doesn't. We're going to spend eternity in one or the other. And watch this. The only way that we get to go to heaven is through the blood of Jesus Christ. By our faith in him as Lord. And so I just want to ask, who's here today? And you say, man, I want those two things. I want to know what my God-given purpose is. I want to walk in that. And I want the promise of heaven. Ultimately, you say, I really want to know God. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray with me right now. And those of you that are watching online, you can join in. This invitation extends. It does not have an expiration date, friend. You can watch this 10 years from now. And I promise you, if you're hearing this invitation, it's still valid. But I put that, this invitation to those of you here this morning that you say, I want to be really a Christian. Not a fake Christian, not fronting not posing. I want to be all in. I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Saints of God, join in with us. We're going to all together just confess Jesus as Lord if we could. Pray this out loud. Lord Jesus, I confess that I was born a sinner in need of a Savior. I ask you, Jesus, be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for the sin of the world. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave just as your word says. And now I want to live my life to know you, to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen.